Today is Tuesday, August 25th, 2015, and this is Radio Wave. everyone, and thank you for joining us on tonight's broadcast of Radio Wave. Our host is a friend of Medjugorje, and just stepping back in time for just a moment here, 10 years ago this day, there was a small little storm out off the coast of Florida, and it wasn't really on anyone's radar. There had been so many storms that year that no one was really paying any particular attention to the storm, and it kind of made a became a little tropical storm and kind of skipped over Florida and then entered the Gulf of Mexico. And over the course of about two and a half days, became one of the most powerful hurricanes in history. And when Hurricane Katrina made landfall on the Mississippi coast, we saw the devastation that it brought. A friend of Medjugorje immediately mobilized the community. We loaded up all of our equipment and we went down to the coast. And what we saw, and I think a friend of Medjugorje could speak to this, is a complete and total breakdown of the entire system. Everything was completely broken down. Not just people, the system, the federal government, the state, everything was in complete and total breakdown. And to add to that, we have people today thinking when something happens, we'll look to the government or somebody else to help us. We came in on the scene, and I didn't know Riz was going to talk about this, what he just said, but when we came in on the scene, we came because the police chief of Bay St. Louis sent his wife up here for safety. He, she couldn't contact him. We didn't know what was going on. We got a lot of heavy equipment because we do everything in-house, a lot of trucks. We sent everything down, our whole caravan, about 20 vehicles and equipment and tractors and stuff. And we arrived. They welcomed us. And we found that he was alive, the police chief. We didn't even know if he was still alive because there was no communications, no cell phones. And it took six weeks before the cell phones even came back up. Landlines were back up within two or three days. And it was desolate. One of the most remarkable things, there were no seagulls. There were no mosquitoes. There was no ants. There was no birds flying. No animal life at all. It even killed it. We saw patches of seagulls on the beach. It was an amazing sight to see that kind of devastation. This hurricane broke FEMA. It broke the finances of the government. The county and the people who, the civil employees of Bay St. Louis, do you think they're going to work the next day? No, they were rumbling through their house or they're trying to find a loved one. We came in there as heroes, just like what's going on with the French story that tackled the people on the Passepay train in France. They've been awarded medals of honor, the highest medal of French. They're coming back. They're going to be doing the same thing in California when they arrive. 
And we arrived in that in that same situation. And we wasn't the government. But what happens when this is widespread, when there's nobody can be a hero to come to rescue somebody? And that's where we're headed. And that's why our lady says, if you fast, you're not afraid of evil. If, if you pray, you're not in fear of the future. You think she's been talking about all these things and what we're seeing and experiences? And Hurricane Katrina was a warning. It was a small, and I say small, but it was the biggest hurricane ever hit the United States in history that we know of, more catastrophic than anything else that we've ever seen. But in doing so, it's just a small version of what is coming. And we've been talking about this for 30 years. We've been talking about things coming. I've been chastised for talking about that. We are dwelling on that. We're not people that's into doom and gloom. We're into God's actions. What does he do to a culture, a society that becomes what we become? He abandons it. How? By us abandoning him. When we abandon God, then he abandons us. He stays with us. He continues on. Look what we did to him in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and even the 2000s to now. And so as Satan said, he wanted a century to try the church. Don't think that trial is during that century. It's at the end of everything when then everything explodes because God's with us through that period of time and we reject and we reject and we reject till he gives in to our desire, our actions. And it's not the pagans, it's the Christians. We lose it through our actions of not living a holy life and convicting others to stay in check. So those in your face today about marriage, those in your face today about all kind of operations changing who they are and everything in your face is because we didn't convict. And they're there because God's even withdrawn from us. Our Lady says, yes, quote, heaven has never been so near to you. Our Lady says, quote, you're in a holy time. That seems to contradict everything. No, because mercy and Our Lady is here with us to show us her endless love that we may have her. But you've got to congregate in your congregation that you get together, your little prayer group, that's your safety. She's told us through prayer groups, catastrophe can be avoided. That's your little island in the middle of your sea. That's your greatest protection. But not everybody's going to do that. Why not? Because they've forgotten God. And all these messages today speaks to us in the most profound, astounding, incredible way. Joan? Our Lady Queen of Peace of Medjugorje's August 25th, 2015 monthly message to the world. Dear children, also today I am calling you to be prayer. May prayer be for you the wings for an encounter with God. The world is in a moment of trial because it forgot and abandoned God. Therefore you, little children, be those who seek and love God above all.
I am with you, and I am leading you to my son. But you must say your yes in the freedom of children of God. I intercede for you, and I love you, little children, with an endless love. Thank you for having responded to my call. We see these things happening right now in our presence. And Our Lady said something very incredible today. The world is in a moment of trial. She didn't say the world is going underneath the trial or beginning a trial. She said, quote, the world is in a moment of trial. This is incredible. Do you understand what this means to hear this from heaven today? This is what we've been speaking of for three decades plus. Warning is coming. And now I hear people saying, somebody's a prophet over here. Somebody's saying this. Somebody's saying that. Well, it's easy to say it now. It wasn't five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago. We've been warning about this because we saw it in the message. We saw it in the scriptures. We saw it through our prayer that we are headed for trouble. I didn't consecrate the tree in the field. Pre-Medjugorje, before I even knew about Medjugorje, without the thought, our nation's in trouble and it's going to end in disaster. And back then, everybody was saying, everything's okay. I even had a well-known person, very influential, said to me, you're a pessimist. You should just stick to prayer groups. That's what you'll be good at. But we were propagating the message. We were saying we're abandoning God, and this is going to end in disaster for us. I've said over and over and over, for decades, two decades at least, we don't have an economic problem, we have a moral problem. Everything's tied to that, to the dysfunction of family. We spoke against divorce. We wrote, How to Change Your Husband. We said, Anybody that gives the numbers the way they give them is wrong. John Paul said not to do that. Does that offend you? It might, but you're not at fault. It's from the pulpit's at fault for not saying and not holding the lambs together that got married. Bonhoeffer was a theologian who was very strong about World War II, and he was torn between his civic duty to his nation in Germany and to his ministry as a pastor. So when it came up time that they were going to take over the German church and Hitler rose in power, they became a split. Because who they elected is who Hitler wanted. Bonhoeffer didn't go along with it. He went to what they created was called the Confession Church. The Church of Confession. In other words, they would confess their faith. The other clerics, which was Hitler's choice, didn't like it because they said, you're going to cause a problem and a split and it's going to cause us more suffering. Bonhoeffer didn't buy into that. His whole thing was, no, speak out against it. But the other main church, the official church underneath Germany and underneath the Third Reich, the Reich Church is what they called it, that we're going to get along to get along. And so they compromised everything. And we started persecuting Jews first and others. The Third Right Church wanted to be quiet. The bishop that was ahead of it was his chosen one, Hitler's. And so Bonhoeffer spoke about these bishops and talked about how cautious they were and how weak they were. 
Bonhoeffer said, man-made efforts toward peace bring about temporary feelings of safety and security, but not real peace. So, yes, of course, arms bring power, but that doesn't mean you'll win. Bonhoeffer went on and says, that's because we often confuse peace with safety. So we have now today many of our bishops and shepherds choosing the safe path, the undisturbing path, like the Third Reich. It wasn't that they were bad people. They just thought the way to do it is we got to get along to get along. Maybe we can do this, and maybe if we're not too loud, we can still continue our church. Bonhoeffer was just the opposite. He went straight into the ambush. And so we have the choice today, just like the Chamberlain's. Peace. He came back with the treaty. We got peace with Hitler. The Third Reich Church, by taking that path, that wrong path that they took, they realized they made a tragic mistake. Bonhoeffer made the right choice. And of course, the Bishop Hitler chosen ended up resigning and stopping, but they fell apart. And the Confessor's Church was the only thing that had any strength. Bonhoeffer says, Peace is to dare to trust God completely. Peace requires us to give up our illusions of safety and security. Our schemes. Our plans in order to rely on God Almighty alone. Our Lady says, Today the world is in a moment of trial because it forgot and abandoned God. And this is what was happening. They wanted to appease Hitler, thinking they could survive, and they forgot God in the process. And they abandoned him in his ways. They didn't stand up for principles, willing to give their life. So Bonhoeffer goes on and says, Will there still be battles? Yes. The battles are won not with weapons, but with God. They are won where the way leads to the cross. So how will peace come? Will it come? Will it come through individual Christians who long for it? No. Simple voices are easily snuffed out by those who oppose peace. Only through the holy and united church of Christ can the word peace be spoken. We can do it today. We can send out a call to peace, but we must hurry. The hour is late. So why are we waiting? What are we waiting for? How can we wait when the world waits for us? The world is waiting for us to save it. Our Lady is raising up us as apostles of the latter days. And the latter days, and apostles of the latter days, was referred to by St. Louis de Montfort. And Our Lady referenced that today because he said, Our Lady would come toward the end and raise up apostles of the latter days, and they would be purified as the children of Levi, and they'll spread across the world, evangelizing with the cross and the rosary on silver wings. Our Lady said today, May prayer be for you the wings for an encounter with God. You can't tell me all her wisdom, everything she knows, that she's not referencing the prophecy of St. Louis de Montfort. We're living in a moment 
that is exhilarating, exciting, and tragic and terrible at the same time. All the spectrums is coming to fruition. And today, there's a declaration that the world is in a moment of trial. Why? Because it forgot and abandoned God. Incredible. And so we come into a time that there needs to be some unmaking. We've made the world we are in. It's a terrible world. It's without God, and it's not going to get better. These earthquakes and the economy and the stock markets are warnings to you to get ready. Because this is what she said, you be ready. And it's going to take a lot to unmake the situation that when she says, you created a whole world without God. As we have these situations, because we have weakness in the church, little direction, so little direction that the only direction we're really getting is that God had to send the Holy Virgin Mary to us to direct us, the laity. And so it's time for the walls to give way. It's demolishing day. All the debris, all the dust, everything that's going to be left is up to us and who St. Louis referenced to. But we still have to have our shepherds. They have to allow it. If they block it, they stymie it. And the walls will stay up. This is where the walls gave way. This is demolition day. All the debris and all this dust. What is left of what once was. Sorting through what goes and what should stay. Every stone I laid for you As if you had asked me to Monument to holy things Empty talk and circling Isn't that what we're supposed to do?
And so we find ourselves in the church, not with the fire we used to have, not with what we start with within our hearts and conversion, even in those things that set you on fire to give you a vocation. I remember sitting with somebody in Medjugorje. I watched them grow up. I watched them get a vocation. And they were on fire. And every year, two or three times a year actually, when I'd go there, we'd sit down and talk. And 10 years later, he's still in the seminary. And I watched that fire to be a priest in his heart go to an ember. And I saw the fire in him was intellectual. Everything went into the heart that made his call was transferred through the seminary into his intellect, into his head. And he began to pride himself on what he knew and what he did and how he was. And after that, he changed to becoming a Franciscan to be a Jesuit and go three more years to school. Thirteen years. What is he? A walking dead priest. This filled with so much knowledge that he doesn't know what it means to be a Christian. So what happens when a theologian becomes a Christian? It's the same thing that happens when a bishop becomes a Christian. What happens then? They go back to what's simple. They need conversion. The church needs conversion, and that brings back the power of God, of truth in his life, in which he can produce miracles. I don't see miracles coming from the shepherds. I don't see these things happening because we've grown into an intellectual church. And that's what Bonhoeffer's whole theme was. Instead of convicting and getting out there in the streets, getting with the people, Using that power, it was by the power of the brain, the power of the decision. This doesn't work. Bishops wake up. Bishops wake up. Bishops wake up. You're asleep. We've been calling you from the pew. You're not acting. Our lady says, we cannot do it without you. Yet she's going to rebuild the church with us, the apostles. But it won't happen without our shepherds. And you sit there asleep. You think a general, when he doesn't answer a call or give a call to his troops, that they're going to be mobilized? They can't. They won't. We're not asking for a lot. Leave Medjugorje alone. Say, come to my parish or come to my diocese. You do your thing. I'll protect you with my authority. I won't stymie you with my authority. I won't stop you with my authority. If you can flourish, you can produce fruit. Go ahead and do it. We're not asking much from you. And yet there's no power. There's no fire. 
You give your orders. Get away from your committees. Get away from those who advise you. Well, you can't do this, Bishop. You can't allow this, Bishop. The attorney's telling you what to do and what not to do. Get into your heart, not your mind, of the way you've been taught. This is why Our Lady does not want Medjugorje proved because the intellectualism, the restrictions, the stymie, the bureaucracy will kill Medjugorje. It's not to be approved. You can rule it's real. The apparitions are scientifically proven. But we won't say anything else to that and let it flow out. She must remain unrestricted. Bypass the people. You can't do that. Bypass us to you as shepherds. We can't do that. You have an army waiting for orders. What happens when a general doesn't do that and give the call out? Or he's too cautious. Or he wants to deliberate. He wants to consult. Instead of going to God, to Our Lady, and praying, what happens? Nothing. Except the general loses the battle. And that's where we are. We need fire. We need to come back what every Christian once felt when they come to know God, even if you're baptized as a youth. That somewhere in your life, you came back. Somewhere in your vocation, you came back to the truth. And it became the devil's work to get you away from truth. And we got a crisis in the church, and it's in the office of the bishops. And we have a lot of good people or bishops, but they don't know what to do. Our Lady does. She's not here for 34 years without giving the method. And it's to raise up people, the lay people, and those priests and bishops who will have the courage to stand up against the other bishops, to say, no more will I sit on my authority, and no more will I sit in the pew. History has shown that bishops never act until the people hold them accountable. You people in the pew, hold your bishops to account. We've got no more time. Our Lady said it today. The world is in a moment of trial. We're going through things because we forgot God in the puppet, in our actions, and we abandoned Him. And you can't do that for decades without He finally abandoned those who've abandoned Him. And that's why your program is so important. That's why your prayer is important. Because there's pockets out there that our lady has to have to save the church. And it will happen through these small groups. And so fire, the fire what you originally felt, need to be set again.
one lost soul that was slipping away Your heart was soft, you had radiant eyes And slowly the pressures and burdens of life Pulled you into the dark of the night bishops where did you lose your sight because you were on fire you let life put out the flame but he Jesus is still calling out your name through our lady today shepherd bishops you will be held to account before God for the souls underneath you what does that mean a good example is the two Supreme Court justices who are Catholic who voted for something in a judgment of God that their ruling to change marriage from what God intended that through their ruling, God was wrong. What did the two bishops or three bishops or one bishop that's over these two Catholics in Washington and their respective parishes, did you go to them and say, you will rescind this by hearing another case to reverse this or I will publicly excommunicate you from the church. That's a serious thing for a bishop to go before God that you took no action. You're doing nothing to change people's minds. And this is a crime and this is a sin. Let that be as it is. Let me say this for what I'm about to say in the next few minutes. It may sound like it's given with anger, but it's a reflection of what the people in the church are feeling. 
And it makes me angry. Because none of this that we're going through, none of the things that's happening has to happen. And it's a result of inaction. You have power to excommunicate, to save a soul, that you're going to have to be accountable to God that you didn't do things, that these two souls of the justices might be saved, along with millions of people. They'll send to perdition, thinking it's okay to do this now. We call out to those who lead the church that our day has come to set a fire upon the earth and it's her children and I on behalf of all her children who know the message, who put it into our life, who transformed our life, who changed our direction, who left our careers, who left our college degrees, all these things. We changed the direction of our life and you think we're just going to walk away from it because you say we can't speak about Medjugorje or we can't public assemblies about it? It's a matter of conscience that you're not going to stop me. And I want to advocate to everybody out there with Medjugorje, don't stop. Hold accountable. You're right. As a baptized Catholic, that we don't speak on Medjugorje on behalf of the church, but that is you and I as an individual, an apostle to Our Lady. And we appeal to you, not in rebellion, not in rejection, for your own good, to embrace us and our way. We're not looking for your blessing. We're not looking for okay. We're not asking permission. Just don't block it for your own sake, for your own well-being. It's not us who will come back against you. It's what Our Lady said. The world is in a moment of trial. She is bringing a solution to raising up apostles of the latter days, to fly across the earth on civil wings, bringing her message. And it's the only thing that's working. To a world that has forgot God and abandoned God. And you do nothing. The Virgin Mary the only way I can reach you, scientifically proven in the apparitions that they're seeing something supernatural. The millions of conversions is the fruit of what they're seeing is the Virgin Mary. The testimony of the visionary's lives is the fruit that they must be seeing something. With tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of conversions now, at least that in the future, that she is here to crush evil. And she said from here, in Alabama, in the field, praying for the nation, offering tens of millions of prayers for 23 years, form and make prayer groups through which we'll pray for your healing and the healing of this nation to draw closer to God and to me. We have the answer. You've got nothing to lose to spread and propagate that. Don't be ashamed of Our Lady. Don't be ashamed in front of other bishops. You better stand now while you can, while you got the power, while you got the moment, because the times are getting darker and it won't go well for you. Nor will it for your sheep because of you. And so we had the Six Days War. 1967. God shows something fantastic. That these people were overwhelmed in what they were fighting for. Completely no way to win. 
They've been training. They've been planning for this war for years, over a decade. Six years they were training severely, regimentally, without a lot of resources. We've been training for the moment that comes now of the earth that suffers the trials it does in this moment by Our Lady to do something that's bigger than we are in this war against Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Russia behind them, the United States not supporting them. These guys go into a battle that's incredible. And they want it in six days. And God wanted it to be known he was behind them. Because on the seventh day, they rested at the Wailing Wall after 2,000 years of absence. Can you imagine that? We live in a moment of prophecy that was prophesied 2,500 years ago that the Jews will be returned to Jerusalem. And another prophecy that Israel will come back into being and the Jews will gather again. 2,500 years ago, this was prophesied and this has happened. Bishops, what else do you need to see? Why the Virgin Mary is here? Why the devil through Iran and many other places want to destroy Israel? Except they want to destroy the birthplace of Christ, the birthplace of Christianity, and where his people had many miracles, and we have one we see in a six-day war, and the seventh day they rested. Just the name of the six-day war is an incredible sign. Unbelievable sign. And you don't see the signs of the time? That these Jews, Moshe Diane, when they went there, they were the first to pray at the Wailing Walls as Jews for 2,000 years. And you wonder why our ladies here? Because the world is in great crisis beyond what we comprehend at this moment. But we're seeing it every day and we're starting to get glimpses of it. And everybody's sitting there thinking, oh, I'm concerned. So what happened in the Six Days War? When they launched it, there were postponements. Eshkel, prime minister, or whatever they call the president of Israel, put it over and says, let's go through patience and diplomacy. Just like the bishops are saying today. We can't do this. We don't want to offend anybody about the same marriage. You know, everybody's got human dignity. There is no dignity in this sin in marriage. It's vile. It's wicked. It's perverted. It is sick. Call it what it is. Every bishop I've seen made a statement on this. Every single one of them has said, well, with all due respect, they don't deserve any respect. This sin doesn't deserve respect. Why do you say that in your statements? In all due respect, this is a sin against nature. This is something we don't, in our Catholic teaching, it's one man and one woman. Get rid of the garbage. Talk like Donald Trump. Why is he popular? Because he's a voice for us, and you as bishops aren't a voice for our Christian faith at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying this to save your neck, because ISIS wants it. You're in a position, they will come for you. They said that we're coming to Rome. What is it going to take for you to realize you have power in the pew? We want leaders to speak. Just say, as a general, let us loose. Don't stime us. Don't stop us. I'm ready to get out there. You know, we were going to pray the Patriotic Rosary in Philadelphia. Get a permit from the federal government who they would give it. And the bishop up there, through a committee or some other priest, stopped it. They stopped the patriotic rosary and the military prays it in the Pentagon. Right there on the spot that the plane hit. I've been to Germany four times speaking on a military basis about the patriotic rosary. We got convents all over the world doing the patriotic rosary. There's 200 websites about the patriotic rosary. And they're praying it. 
And we're seeing more and more people stopping it through the power of the bishop that they give over to these stupid committees and these stupid advisors around you. Start thinking, bishop. You'll lose your head over this. I've said it before, but now I'm saying it after this message today because our lady said it. It's here. May prayer be for you the wings for an encounter with God. Are you encountering God, Bishop? Are you? I'm not against you. I'm appealing to you. We can't do what we need to do, what we're called to do, without you letting us do it. But I'm not waiting no more. No more. I'll go to Philadelphia. We're going to do the Patriotic Rosary. We're going to pick a date, and we're going to get our permit. And you want to stop us up there, the diocese? Stop us. Try to stop us. For praying? To have an encounter with God with wings that he gives to us through the Holy Virgin Mary. The world is in a moment of trial because it forgot God and abandoned him. Therefore, you little children, be those who seek the love of God. And above all, I am with you and I am leading you to my son. And I'm tired of getting stopped because Medjugorje is not approved. It doesn't have to be approved. I'm with you and I'm leading you to my son, but you must say your yes in the freedom of children of God. Do you know we prayed for a lady here in 1988 and what she did? She came in November 24th, 1988 in Thanksgiving Day, a day she chose to go outside, a day that our nation praised God for its blessings, giving him homage for this. The month of November and the year before that, in our message of 1988, she mentions freedom. On the 25th of November, while she's here. And in 1987, she said it again, freedom, in the 25th message there. In 1989, three years in a row, she said again in November, freedom. And the day she says that, I'm leading you to my son, but you must say your yes in the freedom of children of God. Freedom is what this nation is about. Freedom is what Christianity is about. To be free to express your Christianity and evangelize in the way your baptism gave you that right. And we don't have freedom from our bishops, Cardinal Mueller and the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith. They want to restrict it. John Paul wasn't that way. He wasn't that way at all. I talked to him. I met with him. He didn't restrict me. He took the message book, Words from Heaven. And then he gave me a blessing, something one of my bishops here wouldn't do. Ask, why don't you give me a blessing, bishop? I don't know how you're going to use it. John Paul didn't say that. We were speaking about Medjugorje. He turns and gives me a blessing. And you know what he did then? He says, now I'll give a blessing for your family. A second blessing. This Pope, this Gamiel, whatever he was, he gives freedom. If you're from God, you flourish. And before I got out of there with Pope John Paul, standing there talking to him, you know what he did a third time? He told me he kneeled down, put his hands on top of me, not on top of my head, his arms raised, just like the Virgin Mary prays. And he says, this is for your community. Who's the community? Who's my community? A Medjugorje community. It belongs to the Virgin Mary. And you're not listening to what God's doing. John Paul didn't have a problem with it. What I'm saying, somebody thinks is harsh, but no one else is willing to say it. It's not that I have to be the only one saying it. It's what everybody's thinking. And you may not be aware of that. So is what I'm saying contradicting Scripture? Jesus was strong with the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they were the first priests that made the sacrifice. They put Jesus up to this. They put him over there. You say, what about the Romans? They immolated Jesus. But as Gentiles, what they immolated, crucifying Jesus, they were penetrated by him, whereas the Sadducees and the Pharisees was impenetrable of what Jesus is. Theirs was full of evil and hate 
when they made the first sacrifice, the crucifixion. The first sacrifice. And the difference between them, the Pharisees, as opposed to those who were the Gentiles, many of the Roman soldiers, they were penetrated with conversion. Because theirs wasn't necessarily bad will. They just took care of action. We need to see which side we're going to be on. Were the Pharisees, the Sadducees were, or the Roman soldiers, and what they did out of duty, and recognized at the centurion at the foot of the cross, said, surely this is the Son of God. Was the Pharisees stayed blind, they never saw it. This is Medjugorje. You got the Pharisees and Sadducees. You got the Gentiles. You had them at the crucifixion. And you're having the day with our lady. And it's up to you to decide which side you're going to be on. And so we got the Six Days War. And Eshkel won't let it happen. And day by day, they get weaker and darkness grows. Egypt's mounting their troops in the Sinai. Jordan's getting ready. All the troops are ready. They're so outnumbered, there's no way they can win this battle. No way they can win the Six Day War. It's impossible. There's no way we can do what he's asking us. It's impossible. But she says, you're going to triumph. And my shepherds will triumph besides me. Those who are with her, those who accept her. As Moshe Diane is waiting, they want to give him an advisory position. They need him as a figurehead. And what happens to him? What does he say? He says, I refuse. I will accept no advisory position. I insist on combat command. I will not permit Eshkol or his government to neutralize my voice by sidelining me into a ceremonial role. Can you believe that? Oh, I see a ceremony in the church. Overly rehearsed singing. Overplanned exercises spiritually. No Holy Spirit. No Jesus walking through the crowd as a bishop and somebody touches his cloak. It's not there. It's too structured. It's too overplanned. Jesus went on spontaneity, and in doing so, the Holy Spirit was able to cross paths with Jesus by inspiring someone to be at the right place at the right time for a cure, or raise a dead boy, or whatever it may be. But we got to be too planned today. I'd love to see Pope Francis just pop up somewhere and say, I'm going to be here, and I'm resting my nest here for the next 10 days. Whoever wants to come here, come here. Would that not be awesome? But oh no, we can't do it today. Or he might lose his life. So Moshe Dan says, I refused. I will accept no advisory position. I insist on combat command. I will not permit Eshkel or his government to neutralize my voice by sidelining me into a ceremony row. Your lawyers, your committees around you bishops have sidelined you. You've got so much power. If you call people out in the streets to march on abortion clinics, you would have such numbers, just like we spoke about on May Queen, the show we did a couple of weeks ago. These five bishops in Detroit could get a million people up there to tear this statue to pieces, just like Judas Maccabees did. We can do that. And it's within bounds of our Christian walk that we do so. So after the troops were stopped, Bashkul is starting the Six-Day Wars, and they got weaker and lost more lives because of what happened when they finally started. The first to strike was the Air Force. And what the Air Force was going to do, 
was win the battle in the first five minutes. It had to go after him. They knew they had five minutes to turn the battle their way, and the rest of it would go their way. And yet, we've got from the pulpits such weakness from our diocese. Let's talk about it. Well, let's have a bishop's conference about it. Let's decide what we're going to do and put out some stupid pieces of paper we don't need anymore. We need action. Our lady said that. She said, I need acts of love. It's love to act on behalf of the church and behalf of the congregation. But we're paralyzed. Our nation political leadership remained paralyzed. It was clear that it became a political leadership and they're paralyzed just like our bishops are paralyzed. What do we do about marriage? We got defeated there. What do we do about Obamacare? We're paralyzed about that. And what are they going to do when they start killing us? You're going to be paralyzed about that. You can do something. I, I could give you a battle plan. I'll come meet with you anywhere. I can show you what to do. And you know what you'd be having happen to you? The same thing happened to these three guys who tackled the enemy on the speed train in France when they overwhelmed the terrorist. You tackle the devil. You don't even know how you will be held up. And before you die, they won't put a statue up about you. No, that's not why you need to do it. I'm saying that to show you, you will be somebody instead of nobody that you're falling into because you do not use the power God's given to you. I don't have that power. I don't have that authority. You got it. And it's a lady who showed me that because it's a lady who says, you got to pray for your shepherds. You got to pray for your shepherds who don't go astray. We want you to be lined up and we want to hold you accountable. So in the Six-Day Wars, it says, in the end, the plan's most dangerous foes, this is speaking about the Air Force, were found not among the flyers who would have to execute their plan, but by the individual department heads of the Air Force bureaucracy whose authority threatened their very existence. Isn't that it? We're ready to fly with the flyers. We have wings to encounter God and bring God to people. Lewis de Moffat prophesied this. We're in the moment. This is the time. This is it. The trials have started. Evil's reigning. And our biggest enemy, our biggest foe, is the authority that should be the most for us. And I, as a Catholic, an obedient Catholic, a faithful Catholic who would die for my faith before I ever betray it, adore heresy. I'm sick of what I see. The principle of Donald Trump rising up is because people are sick of not being heard and their leaders acting on it. I'm sure a lot of bishops are for Trump. But look at him. Look at where he is. Look at the principles of how he lives. And ask yourself, why is he so popular? Because if you did the same thing, you'd be held in esteem. And instead of dying as a martyr because you didn't do what you should have done, you'll be canonized for dying for a martyr for what you did do. And so where does it all begin? Where does it all start? We've got the goal. We've got the knowledge from our lady. We've got the means. But it's got to start with you, bishops. And you got to get lost sometimes to get found. 
If you're scared of the dark, you're scared of the light. It's time for truth to come. It's time for you to act on what you have to do and knowing that you can do. It all begins with you, Bishop. And if you don't begin, it all ends with you. You want to carry that responsibility? Look up Mariana's messages on the second of the month for non-believers. It's real strange that she comes on that day for non-believers. 
And virtually every message at the end says, pray for your shepherds. And she mentions the apostles, referring to those who she's raising up, as separate. It's very positive the way she addresses you. But it's not without the challenge that there's something wrong. Something gravely wrong with our bishops. And we're commanded by her never to judge you. But what we are commanded to do in our hearts is to hold you accountable for what you're not doing and the wasted time that we're experiencing right now headed toward perdition for the world. In First Peter, it talks about Christian charity. It says, in summary then, all you should be like-minded, sympathetic, loving toward one another, kindly disposed, and humble. By saying this to the bishops, is it not kindly disposed? It's not sympathetic? Is it not loving? The fact that we appeal this way is doing what the scripture says. Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult. Return a blessing instead. It's a blessing to wake up and realize what's happening. We see things that the Virgin Mary has shown us. And out of compassion, we're coming to you for this. That it may be what the scripture says. This you have been called to do. That you may receive a blessing as your inheritance. We're not being blessed in the pulpits today. This is not taking place. Scripture goes on, verse 10 of 1 Peter. He who cares for life and wants to see prosperous days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from uttering deceit. We're speaking straightforward what we know from the Queen of Heaven to help you, to make you see what you don't see at this moment. Because silence is even deceit today. Weakness. We confront this situation because we can no longer be in a state of non-confrontation. And neither can the bishops. We must act. Evil is everywhere. And we're beginning now the moment of trial. We're in it. In the book, The Lion's Gate, which is about the Six-Day War, Stephen Pressfield Bishops need to understand this. It's written, this is not an easy thing to hear. And of course, what I'm saying, a puny little man in the pew, no authority at all, a follower of a lady, one who prays three hours a day, one who wants to please her, one who wants to deliver messages, wants to transform it into my life and my family, life of the community, give my life for her, shouldered with other people here doing the same thing, yoked with me. I know, buddy. But with the heart of a lady consecrated to her, I say this, what this book says. Quote, This is not an easy thing to hear. The men are racked with anguish. Soldiers without someone to command them often cannot organize themselves to act even though they know they must and they wish desperately to do so. But as soon as someone gives shape to their problem and puts forth a solution, they respond with will and courage. And in another place in the book, their leaders got shot 
and the next in command took over. He got shot. A 19-year-old soldier says, quote, I've learned one thing from this. My first experience of war, leaders are everything. Individually, we soldiers may be brave. Collectively, we may make up a skilled, well-trained unit. But without a strong hand to guide us, we balk and freeze. We become confused and surrender initiative. And so what happened on the train recently? The guy was sleeping, the Air Force guy. His buddy hits him on the shoulder, says, let's go. He sees what's happening. Guy's coming with a gun. The three of them run down the aisle, tackle him. He has a blade, cuts the Air Forceman's thumb almost all the way off, had to be re-sewed back on, slashes his neck. He gets a black guy. They start beating this guy. He pulls out a pistol. The other corpsman who's with him, or the Marine, grabs a gun, slings it away. Everybody else is just watching. The third buddy helps on. A British guy watches the whole thing. He went to hide. Because it's like the book says. But without a strong hand to guide us, we balk and freeze. We become confused and surrender initiative. That's what happened to Virginia Tech. Many people, 50 people that got killed could have raised this guy and rushed him and stopped them. But they freeze because they had no leadership. The schools won't tell you to go there. Who's first responders? It's not the police. It's not the firemen. It's not the medics. The first responders, those who's on the scene. Start learning this. Our ladies want to teach us these things. But applying this to the bishops, the British guy who ran, his first thought was to hide, was emboldened when he saw leadership. He saw these guys running, and he ran up to help afterwards and help tie them up. He admitted, my first thing was run and hide. You bishops need to run headlong in this marriage thing and never allow anybody walking around this way. I know ways to do that. I got a plan. In the Six-Day War, you need to read it. The plans that they come up sometimes was on the fly, but they had a plan. You have no plan, and we're being sold to the devil, the whole nation, and we're going to suffer more trials that we need for purification but are not a necessity. We can avoid them. Form and make prayer groups through which we'll pray for your healing and the healing of this nation to draw closer to God and to me. In the notebooks that Maria Vitorta wrote, a volumes of books, The Point Man Guy, which Maria asked her lady about her writings, and she said, one must read them. Jesus is talking to her about the 20 centuries that have passed about the kingdom. And he will not come for a second evangelization, personally. But he will evangelize. Rabbi Torta writes of Jesus, he will raise up new evangelizers who will evangelize in his name. They will evangelize in a new way, keeping with the times, a new way which will not substantially change the eternal gospel or great revelations, but will broaden, complete, and make them understandable and acceptable even to those who accounted the atheism to not believe in eternal death, judgment, heaven, and hell. The new evangelizers, she writes, in reality, there are already, even if the world is partly unaware of them and partly attacks them. 
This is Medjugorje people. This is what he says, these are the last apparitions on earth. Because after these apparitions, they'll never be necessary for more apparitions. This is the completeness. The new evangelizers, the apostles of the latter days. When terror takes hold of the foolish, who now deride the new evangelizers, these souls will turn to them so that they may be strengthened with hope and light in the darkness, horror, and tempest of ongoing persecution by the Antichrist. And that's what I was referring to. The world is in a moment of trial because it forgot God and abandoned God. We're in the midst of this, what we're seeing being fulfilled. It is equally true that Christ the Lord will set more and more of his servants against them, raising up new apostles in places where they least expected. It will be mercy taking pity on distressed men overwhelmed by the storm of blood, fire, persecutions, and death. And it is the divine mercy that they will have Mary, the pure star of the sea, shine upon the sea of blood and horror. And she will be the forerunner of the Christ in his final coming. These new evangelizers will bear the gospel of Mary, for she is the co-redemptrix and the teacher. This is happening that's why he's here. They build an army of evangelizers, apostles. And Vartorder ends saying, She is the holy adversary of the wicked enemy, and her heel is destined to crush the infernal dragon perpetually, as wisdom, which has found its seat in her, is destined to defeat the heresies and corrupting souls and intellects. And this culture today, as I just said, forgot and abandoned God. And so it is Our Lady. There's a story I heard of a song we picked for today, trying to apply it to how this would all be tied into the program, is that Our Lady wants to sail with us. And I remember this story about the first time she went onto the ocean with John. It's in the book, The Mystical City of God. It's a miracle we found it. Our Lady wrote this for us tonight. I could have never found it in a million years. I told Riaz, go get The Mystical City of God, maybe The Poor Man God, maybe set. He opens up right to the story. This book has a thousand pages to it. How do we come to this story? Except by Our Lady is walking with us. We see miracles. There's several miracles with this program tonight. And this is one of them. Because I love this song, the song's powerful, but it's confusing at the same time. But how do we apply it to Our Lady? And then I thought of this story. And then I tell Joan about that. And then Joan just starts smiling because she got another story today that tied to the song. All three independent. All three separate. But we see miracles in our everyday life where Our Lady writes things. She writes a story. She writes the happenings of our life on our daily chores when we go out and encounter people and bring them to God. And we're racking up. So Riaz is going to read this story about the first time Our Lady went out on the ocean. She writes, They came to the harbor and immediately embarked in the ship with other passengers. The great queen of the world was now for the first time upon the sea. She saw and comprehended with clearness the vast Mediterranean and its communication with the great ocean. She beheld its height and depth, its length and breadth, its caverns and secret recesses, its sands and minerals, its ebb and tide, 
its animals, its whales and fishes of all sizes and whatever other portentous animals it enclosed. When this great panorama of creatures reflected the greatness and omnipotence of the Creator, her faculties filled with heavenly wisdom, her spirit winged its ardent flight to the very being of God so wonderfully reflected in those creatures, and for all of them, and in all of them, she gave praise and glory and magnificence to the Most High, with the compassion of a most loving mother, for those who trusted their lives to the indomitable fury of the sea and navigating over its waves, she most fervently besought the Almighty to protect from its dangers all who should call upon her name and ask for her intercession. The Lord immediately granted this petition and promised to favor whoever upon the sea should carry some image of her and should sincerely look upon this star of the sea, most blessed Mary, for help in all its perils. Accordingly, it will be understood that if the faithful encounter ill success and perish in navigation, it is because they ignore the favors to be obtained from the queen of the angels, or because on account of their sins they fail to remember her in the raging storms, or fail to seek her favors with sincere faith and devotion. For neither can the word of the Lord ever fail, nor will the great mother ever deny assistance to those endangered by the perils of the sea. When they landed, the great queen continued to work miracles equal to those wrought upon the sea. We're living in this moment where the star of the sea is here. You can call upon her. She said the prayer upon the ocean. Everything is available to you today. So Mary's prayer for works across the Mediterranean, for people drowning in that sea, do you not think it's going to work for the souls that's drowning in the blood of sea? that she'll hear your cry and rescue you. It's in her hands, and you're in her hands. This is a story of Pappy Boyington. You might know that name. He was a fighter pilot in the famous squadron Baba Black Sheep. He was shot down in the Pacific Ocean during World War II and was taken as a prisoner of war by the Japanese. He tells about having a medallion that was given to him after the war that he has never taken off and he said it's not a good luck charm for him it goes much deeper than that and he begins to tell why when he begins telling the story of how his fighter plane was shot down over the ocean he says that his clothes were ripped off from his body he was naked when he got into his little boat and this is where the story picks up when after being shot down I finally got aboard my little raft, and no clothes on, I found that I had something clutched in my hand. It was a small card that had been sent to me by a Catholic nun from Jersey City. The card was soaked with seawater then, of course, as I held it and looked at it and wondered why I had it. And it was then I remembered how, when a couple of years previously, I had sent this nun some money to buy dresses for two little orphans and the nun had mailed it to me. I had paid little or no attention to the card when I received it, but absently had stuck it in my jacket pocket, the pocket that happens to be above the heart. But why now on the raft I had it in my hand, water-soaked though it was, I never will know. Yet for some peculiar reason, I now looked at it more closely than I had before. It was a picture of a lady with a baby in her arms, and there was a boat on a stormy sea. On the back of it, I could make out the blurred lettering of a lengthy prayer. I read it over time after time while drifting there, 
I probably read it over 40 or 50 times, and it seemed to give me a great deal of company, and I was sickly unhappy when later the Japanese, after taking me, also took the card away from me. I look back now and realize that this was the first time I had ever prayed without asking for something, the first time I had ever prayed honestly or properly in my entire life. I prayed. I don't know why I was saved, and I don't really care, but you have my permission to do anything with me you want. You take over. You've got the controls. And oddly enough, this seemed to help me through the next two months. After being released from the prison camp at the end of the war and returning to the United States, I sent a letter to the nun and told her about the card and that it had come to be in my hand at such a time when there seemed no chance at all of getting out. I wrote all this to her as best I could, and when I was in New York City sometime later, the little nun presented me with my medallion to replace the card, and this is why I always will wear this medallion. It is about the size of a dime, or even smaller. On one side is the Virgin Mary, and the edge is bordered with stars. Many a shepherds are far from Our Lady's heart, and you're breaking her heart. You've left her, and yet you're there, in the home of the church. What's that going to be like when these revelations come to fruition? Too many people are making decisions for you. And you want to sail away with what they decide for you. We're in serious moments. Crisis moments. And for her shepherds to fall is a serious thing for her and her call. You sail away in the night but you don't leave home With the tide so strong I still hold But I can't let go Use your heart as a map and just come home For the waves of worry still my heart I know you're far away from it now But I can't let go Are you making up a case for keeping me Packing up your heart but you never Cast your love to see It will lead you back to me 
here in the world today appearing in Medjugorje. And we can imagine her words. My heart is breaking. Are you making a case for keeping me? Are you making a case for leaving me? I can't imagine the anguish you as bishops will feel once you understand one of the greatest moments in the history of the church in 2,000 years has passed you by and you threw your love away for her in the time of grace, in the time of Mary, this her last time. How powerful is the lady in her appeal through how she speaks to us. To you as bishops, ask yourself, well, she asks you, are you making a case for keeping me? If you cast your love to see, it leads you back to me. If you won't, go, my dear. And where will you go, good bishop? Dear bishops, to an explosive world? Uncertainties? Our Lady is here giving us certainties and the way to walk for the church is not being followed. And nature's turning against us. God's given us plenty of examples, just like he did in Bay St. Louis after Katrina. The Catholic Church in Bay St. Louis was intact as far as its walls, everything else was destroyed. The statue of Our Lady was still inside there, Our Lady of the Sea. It sits right on the bay. It's beautiful. Bay St. Louis. We've been working all week. And they said there'd be mass Saturday night at 5.30. We had tractors all over the place. The county people and the FEMA people said nobody had done what we were able to do. We had even 14-year-old kids running our equipment. We worked nonstop, well into the night. Get up before daybreak. Start again. So it was a joy for us to go to Mass. 
We set a pew, we pull one out of the church, set it in front of the church. There's blocks and bricks and everything all over the place. Set everything up, made an altar, sat down, was praying and waiting for the priest. Couldn't even kneel down, there was so much debris every place. Found a cloth, what was ever available we used. And so he didn't show up. So we sent one of the women to go get him. She returns and he said to her, He's too tired, but he's not going to do Mass. I sent her back and said, we're here for Mass. We're tired too, and we need the Mass. She went back. He said no. I sent her back again with another woman. The two of them went, and we got no answer again. I said, take me back wherever his camper is. So up around the back, to the back of the church, his camper, opened the door. I said, Father, we've been waiting all week for this. We're sitting down for Mass, and we're going to have Mass. He said, I'll absolve y'all from that. I said, we don't want absolution. We're going to get Mass. And he stared at me for about 10 seconds. I said, if I have to drag you, I'm going to take you to the altar. He didn't say a word. He got up. He followed me to the altar. Everything was set. And he did Mass. I'll never forget that Mass. I'll never forget his homily. I can't tell you what he said, but the impression it made on all of us was profound of this priest standing outside over the bay in this destruction. The pictures that we got is remarkable. And he said he'll never forget this Mass. You have to hold your priest and your bishops accountable. You may have to drag them to it. I'm not that big, but I was willing to do that. And I had the will for it. And I would have done that. You may not say it's appropriate. It worked out good for him, and it worked out good for us. And so it is bishops. You need to realize you're drowning, and your flock is drowning. Our Lady of the Sea, we can call out to her when that happens. She will always hear you and always save you. We need to hold our bishops accountable for the sin of non-confrontation. Just let things slide. And that they as a bishop encourage them to call out to a lady. And I encourage you as a bishop, when you call out to our lady, don't call her by her past titles. Our Lady of Fatima, or Our Lady of Lewis, because you have a devotion to that. Our Lady's in Medjugorje today. Call out, unabashed, Our Lady of Medjugorje, the Queen of Peace. That you'll confront, rather than take a passive position of non-confrontation. It's your duty to call up and rally us, the flock. And if you do so, you'll die in peace. Because you did what you're supposed to do. And I want to appeal to you to hear this prayer and to appeal to Our Lady. Mary, you've told us many things. You've told us in your message to pray to you that you would come immediately. And so I ask you to intercede for these shepherds, these bishops, 
It changes nation, changes world. Now, in this moment of trial, while we still have time, O oh Mary, it's my appeal, it's my hope that you incite these shepherds, you invigorate them with your heart, you bring them into heroes of the people. The leaders always go first in front of them. We need them. We appeal to you tonight for this. We beg you as the Queen of Peace to put something in their hearts to make them see the truth enough to allow you, your words, and your messages to be propagated in every parish of the diocese. We're ready. We ask for a tsunami to happen. We consecrate the nation's bishops in a special way, especially the United States of America, into your hands that you may use them Use the authority to protect your way and what you wish to establish. Amen. And so it is, we give this prayer to Our Lady. We ask that you hear this in your own heart to evaluate, to recollect, reflect, to understand what's going on and what's happening. We care for our bishops. We love them. We love you. Good night. This ends the Radio Wave Show with a friend of Medjugorje. To listen or download free, go to medj.com, spelled M-E-J dot com. Go to the left-hand menu, Radio Wave, and click on Past Shows. You can also order this show on CD by contacting Caritas in the U.S. at 205
605-672-2000. Again, 205-672-2000. Thank you for listening.